Good morning. Good to see everyone here today. Uh, a few things. Remember, this Tuesday evening is our, our second um, uh, evening for Association uh, for Reform Teaching. And it's at 7 o'clock. It's in here in the sanctuary. If you didn't attend the one last month, that's okay. Come on and be a part of it. Uh, it is a lot of fun. As I said, it starts at 7. And um, it run, it'll run about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. It runs a little longer. Um, we have three or four people talk for just five or ten minutes each, and then we um, have discussion. People ask questions, and it's a lot of fun. So uh, I do encourage you uh, to come and, and be a part of that. Also, we are starting here in the first Sunday in, um, in uh, October. I think that's, what is it, the third? October 3rd is beginning our Lakeside 101. A number of people have asked about joining the church. And what we'd like people to do before they join is sort of kind of get a feel other than just the meetings of who we are, what we believe, where we're going. And so that goes for about four weeks. We start at 5 o'clock. goes for right out about an hour. And we meet in the Fellowship Center, and it's usually myself and Pastor Taylor, and sometimes there's another elder or deacon there with us. But um, it's always a lot of fun. You meet people. You get to ask all kinds of questions. And um, really want to encourage you to be a part of that. Now, we will be sending out information to you. Um, and if you don't get it, contact us. You can look on our website get information for that. Uh, also there, but that's Lakeside 101, um, starting first uh, Sunday in October. Also, starting next week, I don't know if you saw it on the uh, ads that were behind me here, um, but going now until early November, basically the first week in November, when we are able to, we are going to be meeting outside. Uh, a lot of people really enjoy doing that. The weather is getting better. Um, I think as Tyson shared the first uh, uh, group, uh, today would have been a really good day to meet outside. Um, but this will allow us, uh, if you don't want to wear a mask, you won't have to. A mask will be um, optional. Uh, we'll be able to sing more, doing that kind of thing. Um, and uh, the way it's going to work is when the, we meet outside, it's, we're meeting at 10 a.m., 10 o'clock, okay? And um, if for some reason the weather's not right, we're meeting inside, it's still good. It's going to be the, like we know it now. We know how to meet inside now. It's going to be 9 and 11 with the mask. And we will let you know um, via either the email or we'll have the email. We have the, um, the uh, texting. We'll also put it on our site um, within about 24 hours that we need to change it for some reason. But the plan is between now and the first week in November to meet outside um, every time that we can. And again, if we, we, we will contact you if we're not able to do that. If for some reasons you, we, you might suspect we don't have your, um, one of those contact informations or you can't get, on the, get our website or whatever, and you want us to send you a text, please contact our office. We used to have little things you could sign right there, but uh, things have changed right now. Contact our office. Give us that information. We'll put you on a list and make sure uh, that you uh, have that information. Good morning, everybody. You are at the right place at the right time to hear the gospel proclaimed. Welcome to Lakeside. We are a gospel-driven, mission-centered family of believers, and we're so pleased that you could be here today worshiping with us. Uh, I want to call you to worship, and in doing so, I want to ask you to stand if you're able, and we are going to say together the Apostles' Creed. The way we begin this creed is by asking Christians one basic, one basic question, and that is, uh, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. 
The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the forgiveness of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Ah, close enough. Sit down. It's funny. It's funny. You know, it's hard to be perfect all the time. Uh, I, I did the first sermon in, in the first service, and I kept talking about these two words, and I said, I kept calling them suffixes, suffixes, and afterwards, people were lined up to tell me, Tyson, in both cases, those are prefixes. And I was like, okay, well, you get the idea. Hey, let's, let's now go into worship before our Lord, and let's enjoy the ministry of music. our blessed redeemer sing all worth his wonderful love proclaim hail him hail him highest archangels in glory strength and honor give to his holy name like a shepherd jesus will guard his children in his arms he carries them all day long praise him praise him tell of his excellent greatness praise him praise him ever in joyful song praise him praise him jesus our blessed redeemer for our sins he suffered and bled and died he our rock our hope of eternal salvation hail him hail him jesus the crucified sound his praises jesus who bore our sorrows love unbounded wonderful deep and strong praise him praise him tell of his excellent greatness Praise Him, praise Him, ever in joyful song. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Heavenly portals, love with Rosanna's ring. Jesus, Savior, reigneth forever and ever. Crown Him, crown Him, prophet and priest and king. Christ is coming over the world victorious. Power and glory unto the Lord belong. Praise Him, praise Him, tell of His excellent greatness. Praise Him, praise Him, ever in joyful song. way of reminder, uh, when we gather our, our, our tithes and our offerings, remember we're not going to actually pass out the plates. We have 
uh, the plates on either side of here. We have boxes back there for people that can, uh, they're able to give uh, and want to uh, use those. Uh, the Apostle Paul goes out into the Gentile world, and we are told in the book of Acts that he goes to Athens, and he, he preaches there, and he speaks of a day when there's a judgment, and it's by a man, and a man particularly called who was raised from the dead. And so he says, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. You are the creator of all things, speaking into existence, the visible and the invisible. You are the righteous judge of all things, speaking forth your word of salvation, our Lord Jesus Christ. In the good news of the resurrection, let us see Christ not only as our salvation and our future glory, but as our daily improvement. Even as we have died in Christ, his life being ours, teach us to die daily, being conformed to his death. As all men are called to repent, give us the gift of humility to know our many sins. Give us also endurance to bring forth the fruit of true repentance. And as your word tells us, the works of death, those words, thoughts, and deeds that come from our sinful nature are most evident. Violence, impurity, idolatry, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, Gossip, dissensions, drunkenness, theft, and things such as these. We are soberly warned that those who practice these things will not inherit your kingdom. So lead us by your spirit. Form in us Christ day by day. Cleanse us from your, our iniquity. Present us blameless and complete at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. As your people who know that we are destined to be conformed to the image of your Holy Son. We give thanks for all things, and we rejoice in all things. Bless now this collection, the giving of our tithes and our offerings. By them we walk in faithfulness, we store treasures in heaven, and we further the gospel to the nations. We ask your mercy in this as in all things, even as Jesus taught us, praying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever.
Don't. 
where sin runs deep your grace is more where grace is found is where you temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my At this time, children ages three through kindergarten may be released to the, the foyer for um, Children's Church. announcements before we get going. Uh, so, so we all clear, uh, starting next week and probably going until sometime in November, our worship services here at Lakeside will be moved out here into the lawn. Uh, our elders uh, really worked through this for a long time. And it, it kind of, listen, we're all divided over masks and no masks. Some love it, some don't. Moving outside just kind of is a good place for us to be right now. And if the weather looks beautiful, we want to do that as long as we can. That being said, uh, if for some reason the weather's bad, it's rainy, we will automatically, no questions asked, be back to two services inside 
9 o'clock and 11, and masks will be required. That's kind of our standard. We do a good job of communication here. We have, uh, we're able to send out text messages to everyone's phone who has their phone numbers on record with us. So if you don't, you might want to fill something out or sign something somewhere. I'm not sure where you could do that, but figure it out. You know, uh, online probably. Um, and, and, and listen, we'll, we'll shoot all that information out. It'll also be on our website. It'll probably be on our sign as you drive by. Uh, anyway, uh, another point about next week. Next week will be our first time to take communion together since the pandemic started. So I uh, hope that you can be there, and uh, we've got that all figured out, how we can do that safely and, and how we can do that meaningfully as well. Uh, today is, is, a, is a blessed day. Man, I'm so glad that we're together today to hear the Word of God and to worship our triune God. And we've been, we've been talking about this idea of misunderstood doctrines. And today we have enough, another tough doctrine to work through. We're talking about baptism. Uh, and while on one hand this sermon is all about uh, babies, on the other hand, this is not a sermon for baby Christians. I just want to say this is kind of a, a tough sermon. And if you're a, a baby Christian, I just say this, Lord, uh, forgive us today. Uh, don't get stuck in the weeds. Uh, that, that's Camden who's leaving. That's who I'm going to baptize. I was like, I don't know if y'all saw this, but we were singing, and, and Camden actually ran down the aisle trying to be baptized early. Uh, I've, never had a, I've never had a baby run down the aisle to be baptized. Camden did. I mean, that, that kid's probably going to be a preacher or something one day. Let me, let me start by saying this. In this sermon series, we've been talking about these really deep doctrines. And, and, and I love doing that, but what bothers me about doing that is that we sometimes miss the gospel. And never on a Sunday morning do I want to miss the gospel for the sake of explaining the difference between kinds of baptism. Uh, we get to do these um, mercy medical clinics in our fellowship center. And when we do... Uh, we get to take care of the physical needs of people that are sick. We have doctors that come out, nurses that come out and volunteer. And uh, we'll take whoever's here to see a doctor or nurse, and we'll sit with them first. And we ask them a series of questions. And, and really the first question we ask them is, if you died today and, and you were standing at the pearly gates and Jesus met you there and he said, why should I let you in my heaven, what would you tell them? And over and over again, what we find out is how many people who are nominally Christian Christian kind of by association, get the gospel wrong. And here's what I mean by that. That's a very simple question to ask whether or not you understand the gospel. If you died, why should I let you in my heaven? And what over and over again we hear is people begin to list off their own personal righteousness. They begin to say to us things like this. Well, I, I don't cuss. I try to be a good person. I don't cheat on my wife. I pay my taxes, don't kick the dog when I'm angry. I mean, they start giving us these reasons why they're a good Christian. Church, if you hear nothing else today, know this. The only answer to that question is because I'm saved by the blood of Jesus through faith by grace, I, I get to receive his benefits. That's it. The only reason you should be let into heaven is because of the blood of Jesus, and by faith you have trusted in that. That's it. Today we're talking about the difference between two different schools of thought on baptism. What's great is that we're going to end it today actually doing one of these two. There's two words you probably don't know very well, and uh, they are the word pedo-baptism and credo-baptism. 
And some of y'all just went to sleep, just hearing those big words. Some of y'all just went to sleep. Others of y'all just got really excited and you giggled a little bit. And that's because you're a theology nerd. Let me explain these fancy words, okay? Pado-baptism is a fancy word that means you believe in baptizing believers and their children. And pado is a prefix not a suffix. It's a prefix that simply means relating to children. And Presbyterians, as we are, are historically paedobaptists. That means that we believe that God's promise in baptism is for believers and their children. Credo-baptists, on the other hand, uh, believe that baptism is for believers only and not for their children. Rather, it's reserved only for those who profess faith in Jesus. Credo then becomes a prefix that means to believe. When we think about the Apostles' Creed, it's a statement of what we believe. A creed is what you believe. So uh, oftentimes, credo-baptism is t- talked about as in the same vein as, as believer's baptism. And I have a ton of Reformed Baptist friends who were really, were closely aligned in theology on almost all things, but for some reason, we kind of disagree on baptism. Uh, I think baptism is for believers and their children, and they believe that baptism is only for believers. And this is not the biggest difference in the world, and it sure doesn't keep us from breaking bread together. Uh, my hope for today is, is to compare and contrast these two different views of baptism and to provide a biblical case for baptizing children. And, and you don't have to agree with me, but I want you to understand that what we believe on baptism is based on a biblical position. It's not based on some tradition. And before we focus uh, on what separates us, let's talk about some things that both sides agree upon. Both credo-baptists, those who baptize children, uh, or who, who don't baptize children, and paedo-baptists, those who do baptize children, we actually share a lot of beliefs about baptism. First off, we all agree on the idea of believer's baptism, and let me uh, tell you what I mean by that. We both believe that when someone, an adult, comes to faith in Christ, that person should be baptized and relatively quick. I believe that like once Christ moves in your heart, you profess faith in Jesus, the next step for you is, is baptism. Um, we read last week in Acts 2 where Peter proclaims the gospel to the Jews in Pentecost. And, and as a result, these Jews have their hearts broken. And they say to Peter, what do we do? And, and Peter says to them, repent and be baptized. And some people will say, well... Uh, don't Presbyterians only baptize babies? And I would tell you this, that that is simply not true, especially if God is working in the hearts of adults in our community. We 100% and non-apologetically believe in baptizing anyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and I've had the privilege to do so many times. Every church should be committed to sharing the gospel, seeing people come to faith in Jesus, and in turn repenting from their sins and being baptized. Uh, it's a misunderstanding of the doctrine to say that the Pado-Baptists only baptize children. Pado-Baptists very much practice believers' baptism also. Uh, the second thing that, that Pado-Baptists and Credo-Baptists agree about is that baptism does not save you. You understand this? And as we do baptism today, I want you all to understand this. Baptism does not save you. There are some who uh, have been baptized and they are not saved. And there most certainly are some who have never been baptized and most certainly are saved. 
We all believe that salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus, and it's not the result of baptism. Baptism does not wash away your sins. It is a sign that points to an inward reality that the blood of Jesus has washed away your sins. The water in baptism isn't some kind of, it's not magic holy water. We, we baptize with tap water. And no one who does the baptism, no pastor here, has any special powers. The only power at work in the midst of baptism is the Holy Spirit. The third thing that we would all agree about is that baptism is, uh, it's, it's a rite of initiation into Christ's church. Once you are baptized, you are a member of the visible church. We talked about that last week, the difference between the visible church and the invisible church. The visible church is all the believers in the world at one time who confess faith in Jesus. So once you are baptized, you're part of that visible church. And you should also be a member of a local church. I don't really believe in baptism separated from the church. I don't, I don't believe in vacation baptism. I believe that when you're baptized, it should be with your local church body. Fourth thing we agree upon is that we value professions of faith by believers. And, and both uh, Credo and Pado Baptist would say it is necessary for adults to profess faith before baptism. Uh, a Pado Baptist would say if, if you're not a young child of a believer, then you must profess faith in Jesus before baptism. I remember I had this, uh, I was working at a church in Lubbock, Texas, and I had this, this woman come in. She's probably 50 years old. She was a Korean woman. Uh, spoke uh, not great English. She was a professor of chemistry at Texas Tech University. And she sat through several services before coming up to me after a service and said, uh, I would like to be baptized. And I said, wow, I was so excited. Let's talk about this. And she begins to explain to me about her desire to be baptized or to be baptized. And apparently what's going on is that she was applying to work at a Christian college in Korea. And one of the requirements is that she herself must be Christian and one of the boxes on the application was date of baptism. And it wasn't a baptism of faith. It was a baptism of employment, right? She needed to be baptized so that she could, you know, write it down. on a box. And she wasn't, she wasn't smart enough to lie to me about it, you know? So she tells me this and I go, oh, bless your heart. And I begin to explain to her that, that in the Christian church, um, we, we only baptize uh, when there's a change of heart like this. And this was the one time in my life where I've denied someone a baptism. And uh, it's a great story, really. Uh, she, she, 22 months later, was still at the church. The job had come and gone, and, and, and she came up again and said, I, I have had a heart change, and I'd really like to be baptized now. It was a great, beautiful celebration when we did baptize her. Uh, it was after a credible profession of faith. And the fifth thing that we agree about is that baptism should be done by water, and it should be done in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus says. He says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we take those directions from Jesus as we think about baptism. We could be here and I could list out things all day that we have in common. Uh, and I don't want to focus on our differences, uh, but I do want to take some time to you to explain why we here at Lakeside believe baptizing children is biblical. Because that's what's really important in my book is, is, is it biblical? I can respect your position even if you differ from me if your position is made by a good reading of Scripture. 
In order to examine baptizing infants, uh, we're going to be reading a lot of scripture together this morning. Uh, let's begin by reading our text. It's in Colossians 2, 11 through 15. I want to invite all who are able to stand in reference to the word of God read. And before we read, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to your holy word looking to submit our lives to it, looking to find understanding and revelation about you. Uh, quicken our hearts to hear your inspired word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know the word of the Lord uh, found in Colossians 2, beginning in the 11th verse. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. We're going to do our best to break down that reading and try to understand what's happening there in Colossians chapter 2. One of the things that makes it sometimes hard is how the sentences that Paul writes in the Greek sometimes uh, seem to run on, and we find a lot of details in between when he starts to make his point and when he finishes to make his point. He has a bunch of commas with phrases and commas with phrases that don't end up in resolution until much later. So if we begin in verse 11, Colossians 2, 11, and we were to begin reading there, we, begin, we see Paul beginning to make his point. It says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision not made by hands. Paul's not talking about a physical circumcision. He's talking about a spiritual circumcision. Uh, well, this idea is not foreign to the scriptures. Paul often talks about this idea of circumcision of the heart. It's not a, a physical circumcision made with human hands, but rather it's a heart that is marked with a love for Jesus. Keep reading. We're going to see if we can't sort this verse out. Like I said, the reason that this verse can be hard to understand is that Paul will start to make a point like he just did there. And he's going to add some descriptive details in the sense before he finally gets around to finishing his points. So this, he starts by saying circumcision. It's this, it's this circumcision that's made without hands. But then he gets in the details and he says this happens by first, by the putting off the body of the spirit. And then by the circumcision of the flesh, uh, or the circumcision of Christ. And these are important details, but they're not the final point. But he keeps going. In verse 12, he finally finishes his point. He says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, in the powerful works of God, he raised him from the dead. So Paul starts his sentence by saying, In him you were circumcised. Then he adds details, and he finally gets to the point. Having been buried with him in baptism. In other words, the sentence reads, if you were to take out the details in the middle, you were circumcised. Uh, by the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. What we see here in Scripture is the linking of spiritual circumcision and spiritual baptism. 
And an inward circumcision and an inward baptism are linked there. And, and, and if, if inward circumcision, circumcision and inward baptism are linked, we begin to see a link between physical circumcision and water baptism. We begin to get a sense that these two things are related, that circumcision and baptism are related. Now, circumcision and baptism are not the same thing. But those of you who have been in the church for a long time, you know that circumcision was in the Old Testament, and it was marked uh, with blood. And it was a sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham. And it pointed forward from that time uh, to the blood of the lamb on Calvary. You see the blood. And baptism instead, it's not blood, it's water. And instead of pointing forward to the cross, it points back to it. However, although they're different, circumcision and baptism have a lot of things in common. They do, they share a lot of things. Uh, Whereas circumcision is the sign of the old covenant, right? Circumcision is the sign of the covenant. Baptism is a sign of the new covenant. Uh, This is generally universally agreed upon. Both circumcision and baptism are signs of covenants that God made with his people. And and here is what reformers think about these two covenants. They think that uh, both the covenant with Abraham and the old covenant are the same in substance. And what I mean by that is when you boil down both those covenants, they both really point to the same promises. Yes, if you look at the Old Covenant, there's, there's parts of it that are about descendants, and there's parts of it that are about land, uh, about land. But beyond that, the basic premise of both covenants is that God will save his people. R.C. Sproul, great thinker, uh, reformer, says it this way. He goes pretty far in with it. And, and, and if, you, if you've never heard this before, I think it's really important. In a very real sense, brethren, he says this, circumcision in the Old Testament was a sign of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Circumcision is a sign of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Baptism and circumcision, they're very similar. They both point to covenants God made with his people. Uh, The covenants they point to are both the same in substance as they point to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, you can understand how people might argue for continuity between how you practice these two signs. How can circumcision be for believers and their children and baptism be only for believers? That's the question. This is the basic premise of the argument, right? The credo-baptist, the one who believes in baptizing only believers, uh, will say, show me where it says that you can baptize children of believers. And Pado-Baptists will say, show me where it says you can't, because as a sign of the covenant, the Jews would have assumed it would have functioned the same way as circumcision unless they were specifically told otherwise. Let's look at circumcision and the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 17, verses 10 through 12. Um, This is the covenant God is making with Abraham. We put it up, we can read it together. God said, this is my covenant, which you shall keep. Between me and you and your offspring after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and ye, me and you. And then verse 12 says this, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. The sign of this covenant that God was making with his people was circumcision. In other words, By being assigned, circumcision points back to the covenant that God is making. Now, when did circumcision take place in the life of an Old Testament believer? 
the eighth day. And I've been around my fair share of, of eight-year-old babies, and I've never yet met a baby I thought could comprehend saving faith at eight days old. Yet, God told Abraham to circumcise his children. And he told him to do this on the eighth day as a sign of the covenant, a sign that God was faithful. Now, everyone who was circumcised uh, was not necessarily saved. We've talked about this before as it pertained to baptism. God is not guaranteeing salvation to those who are circumcised. And, and faith was also an important component to the old covenant. Remember what it says about Abraham. It says, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. But what's interesting is, look again at who God is making the covenant with. It's not just a covenant between Abraham and God. It's bigger. Genesis 17, 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, your children, throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I remember what I said earlier. In the same way we don't believe that infant baptism saves, we would say that circumcision does not save. And, and to be really clear on proof texting that, we look at Jeremiah 9, 25, and 26. What we find in Jeremiah is that uh, Scripture is talking about people who have, who have been circumcised, but yet God's wrath is being poured out upon them. It says this, Behold, the days are, t are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in flesh. Circumcision doesn't save. So uh, among the Jews in the Old Testament, the practice would be this, that every time a Jewish boy was born, on the eighth day, and this, and this would include Jesus, on the eighth day his parents would take him and they would declare that this is a child of the covenant and as such they would put upon him the mark of the covenant, circumcision. Not to save him, but to point to the covenant promise of God. Now, fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus gives his followers a great commission in Matthew 28. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus institutes a command to baptize in the name of the triune God. And as we read in Colossians chapter 2, there is this link in the New Testament between the way Jews would have understood circumcision and baptism. And a baptism is now the sign of this new covenant, the way that circumcision was a sign of the old covenant. And so in Acts 2, Peter preaches the gospel. And when he does, all these Jews come to faith in Jesus, and they would have understood circumcision. And they ask Peter, what do we do now? And in Acts 2, 38, we read, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what's funny. When I read this section with people who don't believe in baptizing infants, credo-baptists, what they will say to me is, is they'll say, hey, Tyson, look here. You see, Peter has given a prerequisite to baptism. Peter has said that you must first repent and then be baptized. And, I, and they'll say to me something like, I've never met an infant capable of understanding repentance, therefore they cannot meet the prerequisites for baptism. And I've actually had this conversation a lot 
And they want me to explain how infants are capable of repentance. And if they're not capable of repentance, then they're not eligible for the sacrament of baptism. And that's a fair point. But I usually ask them to read the next verse with me. If we continue and reread Acts 2, 39, we find that what Peter says is, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. What does this sound like? Sounds like circumcision. Sounds like the exact same standards. It's for you and your children. Who's Peter talking to? He's not talking to Gentiles. He's talking to the Jews. They would have understood circumcision. How would the Jews have heard this verse? What would have made these Jews think that the sign of the new covenant works any different than the sign of the covenant with Abraham? God said to Abraham, circumcision was for you and your offspring. He says, do it on the eighth day. Now Peter's saying, repent, be baptized, take this new sign. The promise is for you and your children. Why would a Jew have thought? Why would they have assumed that the logic of the covenants had changed and that now children of believers were no longer welcome to take upon them the sign of this new covenant the way the old covenant had done? I've always believed with much respect, that the burden of proof is on credo Baptists to show where the Bible says that only professing Christians and not their children are to be baptized. What's funny is, is I agree that every adult should be baptized, uh, and, and they should be baptized only after they profess faith in Jesus. However, I believe that children of believers are entitled to baptism. Now, let me caveat that for a second. If you have a child of a non-believer, I do not think that they should be baptized. That's why uh, our session met with the Sluters, uh, both them and, and the grandparents this week, and there was, there was a great profession of faith before the elders this week, and we feel really good about going forward with this baptism. Baptism is, uh, is just like they were entitled to in circumcision, is entrance into the visible church. No one is saying in baptism that we have punched these kids' tickets to heaven. What we are saying is that they're now part of the body of Christ. They're now part of the church, and the church visible, and specifically this church at Lakeside. And, and so uh, we have given them baptism, the sign of, of God's covenant with his people, not a sign of this child's faithfulness. It's a sign of God's faithfulness to keep his promise to his covenant people. And when these kids are engrafted into the church, uh, they are raised up under the word of God. They are raised up under the care and the mentorship of the elders. They're raised up under the eye of the church family. Um, but we don't, it's really interesting, we don't let children who have not professed faith in Christ take the Lord's Supper. I know, I know that might be confusing. We'll baptize a kid without a profession of faith, but we will not allow them access to the table. And that's a whole other sermon, but basically we believe that Scripture teaches that the Lord's Supper is for believers only, and never does it give a provision for children who have not professed faith. We don't, we don't really have godparents uh, in the Reformed tradition. If, if you did, that's fine. Uh, we, we don't say it's fundamentally wrong. But what we normally practice here at Lakeside is that we as a church body all vow to serve as godparents. So like, like if someone comes in and, be, and is baptized, the entire church begins to serve as godparents. 
that means that when we baptize a child, we recognize that that child is now part of our faith family and part of our care and responsibility. And that's not just for the elders or the pastors. That, that's for our entire faith family. If you sit in here today, and in a second when this child is baptized, you're going to be asked to, to make some pledges to be part of this kid's life. And, and that's why we always say you better consider teaching some Sunday school for kids. You better speak to these kids in the lobby. You better ask them about school. You better talk to them about their problems. You better point them towards Jesus. And you better correct them when they err. Because you have a role in this as a member of this church. This in itself is the benefit of their baptism. Not that they are saved, but rather that they have been marked by the sign of the covenant and are raised in the church and thus raised with the benefits of the means of grace. And the hope is that one day, thanks to the grace of God, covenant children will believe and will be born again and will profess their faith in Jesus and not just join the visible church, but also on that day, join the great invisible church of all those who are saved. Today, we've explored the difference between uh, pedo-baptism and credo-baptism. And it's really a theological difference about how we see our children. And if we believe we can give them the sign of the covenant, and I believe that we can, and that we should, based on a biblical understanding of the covenants. Baptism is ultimately a sign of God's promise to redeem. It's never a sign of us guaranteeing our faithfulness. You see this, you see this a lot. You see people who are baptized as an infant, and then they go spend 35 years living like an idiot, and then at 35 years of age, they come back to the church, and they want to be rebaptized as if their baptism is broken. Well, the baptism was never about your faithfulness. It was always about God's faithfulness. That's why we don't rebaptize. Um, think about it. The sign of baptism is very much like the sign of the rainbow. Do you remember the sign of the rainbow in the Bible? Was it a promise that all of humanity would be good from here on out? It was not. It was a sign that God would no longer flood the earth. We're getting there, guys. I promise. You're doing so good. We've got like a whole lobby worth of kids trying to see this baptism. Now, today, we have the great privilege and responsibility to baptize into our church and the church visible, Camden Gray Sluter. Camden is the child of believing parents who have placed their faith in Jesus. Camden's parents and grandparents are members of this church, and thus, based on our understanding of Scripture, we give Camden the sign of the new covenant baptism. And so now, wherever you are, Joe and Alex, I want to invite you to come forward and to bring with you that covenant child, and let's do this thing. This is going to be a good morning. I also ask Jim to take uh, the pulpit, and Jim is going to lead us through um, some questions that we have, both for uh, the parents and for the congregation. And so, Jim, if you'll lead us through that now. That's not Camden, right? That is Camden. But this is also Camden. That's right. You see him trying to get up here? Okay, yeah, yeah. Joe and Alex, God, God bless them to bring in Camden um, uh, to, to be baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you all some questions, and then I'm going to ask uh, one of the, of, of the church. Joe and Alex, um, do you acknowledge Camden's need 
of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? And do you claim God's covenant promises and benefits for Camden? And by faith, do you look to the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation as you do your own? Um, do you now unreservedly dedicate Camden to God, and do you promise, by relying on God's power and grace through the Holy Spirit, to live exemplary lives before him? Uh, do you commit yourself to pray with and for Camden, and to teach him the scriptures and the great articles of our faith in Jesus Christ? And do you promise to use every means provided by God, including faithful participation in the life of the church, to bring Camden up in the loving discipline of the Lord. Okay, and as, as, as uh, Tyson had, had shared, the congregation, we sort of assume with the parents the responsibility for the spiritual nurture of, of this young man. And so I'm going to ask you a question. Do you, Lakeside members, um, do you acting on for yourselves and in behalf of the whole body of Christ Assume responsibility with these parents for the spiritual nurture of Candom Sluter. Okay. Uh, let's just let's go back over those vows for a second. Uh, Joe and Alex, you have vowed to raise uh, Camden Gray Sluter in the faith. You've, you've, you've vowed to raise him in the church and to use all the, the gifts that God has given us uh, for his development in faith. And uh, that, that's quite a responsibility. So now, having heard you say this in the affirmative, we're going to baptize Camden. And Camden, the big question is, will you let me hold you? I just don't know. Come see me. Come see me. Come see me. What is the Christian name of this child? Camden Gray Sluter, child of the covenant. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and one more of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. How about that? <laughs> Do you know what an appropriate response is? <gasps> Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Now, all these people have said that they're going to be there while you grow up to guide you and to teach your Sunday school classes and to love on you and to teach you about Jesus. Isn't that pretty sweet? Let's, uh, I'm going to give you back to your daddy, and then we're going to say a word of prayer. <laughs> he may start crying again. I don't know. Let's pray. Oh, Father, praise be uh, Jesus. And thank you for this sign and, and what it points to, God. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, God, we, we, we pray over Camden. Uh, God, that, that you would minister to him using all the means of grace in this church, that he would see uh, great examples of men and women of faith here, that he would hear uh, the scriptures preached, that he would grow up in a community of faith, and that one day, God, very soon, he will come to profess faith in Christ Jesus. And the promise is that when he does, you will be there. Thank you, Lord. And we all said, Amen. All right, guys, thank you all so much. We're going to now enjoy the ministry of music once more. Draw the stars, I am with. 
set out today with, with uh, one goal, really, and that goal was that everyone who was here would somewhat understand the Pado-Baptist view of baptism, why biblically uh, Presbyterians and others who hold this view think that you can baptize infants. Uh, my goal wasn't necessarily to convince those of you who disagree with me. I'm at peace if by scriptures you can have a different view. But here's, here's where I hold the line. Here's where I hold the line, Camden. All those who uh, are, are members of this church will support and encourage and give to Camden all the grace we can and all the love of Jesus Christ as a member of this body, and he will hear the gospel. I expect you to participate that no matter what you believe about baptism. Praise God. Amen. We have been the church gathered. Go and be the church scattered, and as you do, take with you the love of God the grace of Christ Jesus' Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Until we meet again, let us enjoy the ministry of music once more. Just as I am thy love unknown hath broken every barrier down now to be It was such a blessing to worship with you today. Until next week, God bless.